0: the following message was given by rob flood a pastor at covenant fellowship church in Glen mills pennsylvania and a guest preacher at valley creek church for more information about the church visit us online at www.valleycreek.church i bring greetings from the northeast region valley creek church is one of 11 churches in this region uh in april it'll be one of 13 churches in this region and uh when we all gather together, elders and leaders, there's about 65 or 70 of us throughout the region that gather. Uh, As a regional leader, the main expression of how I I care for the churches in the region is by caring for your pastors. By caring for the pastors of the region, I engage them on a regular basis. Uh, But sometimes we get the added blessing of being able to be out here and be face-to-face with the church. And it's just Uh, This one in particular, as recent of a plant as it is, it's a great joy for me to see so many familiar faces, Uh, but no offense to those of you that I know, it's a great joy to see the faces. I have no idea who you are. It means we didn't send you out. It means you've come since, and uh, that's exactly what we hope for when we plant churches. Uh, Let me also bring greetings from the elders at Covenant Fellowship. We think of and talk about you often, largely good things. Um, And uh, and when when you consider the the, the guys I serve with, I'm one of 11 guys on the team, uh, and the number of people here uh, that they've cared for and that have cared for us, uh, you're just very close to our hearts. It's great joy to bring you the word today. Uh, Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. If you do, please open to Psalm 103. The title of today's message, for those of you who jot these things down, is Anxiety and Believing God. Anxiety and Believing God. As you turn, I want to share something personal with you. It's a condition that I have that affects my eyes, and it's called SBS. Uh, That's selective blindness syndrome. Okay, it, it also goes by a number of other names. Maybe you're more familiar with pantry syndrome, refrigerator syndrome, closet blindness. And my case is particularly bad as demonstrated in this story. Gina says to me, Rob, can you please get the milk out of the fridge? I was just in the fridge. There is no milk. So I say, Gina, I've already looked. We're out. She says, no, 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 I I just got it. I know it's in the fridge. Can you take another look? I'm righteously indignant at this point. And I was like, sweetheart, I just looked. It's not in there. She is now righteously indignant and says, can you just step aside and let me look? And suddenly, out of nowhere, the milk appears in the fridge. It's like magic. And I want to be honest with you, I want you to be honest with you, I'm not alone. Many of us have selective blindness syndrome, and if you don't know if you have it or not, just ask a spouse or a roommate or a parent or a friend, because people with SBS are often the last to know. (laughs) There are support groups for people like us with SBS, because we are often persecuted by those who don't think they have SBS. So SBSers have to stick together. And I I paint this picture for you and share this personal information with you because there's another form of SBS that's a little less humorous and much more devastating. We get SBS when we are afraid and in our fear our blindness is to the elements of who God is and the attributes of God himself we forget who he is what he has promised and what he's already accomplished for us we read our bibles and oftentimes people who are riddled with anxiety or trapped in fear they are often not far from their Bibles. Their Bibles are filled with tears and torn corners and marked up and they look and they look and they look but they can't see sometimes what is right in front of their face. When selective blindness syndrome involves our view of God, the result is often fear because we see our daunting circumstances just fine. And we believe that God is not able or not willing or not present to help us. And if that were the case, we have every reason to fear. Because some of our circumstances can be very daunting. But I've not come to you today to try to just commiserate in your daunting circumstances. I've come to tell you some truth this morning. That God is able, God is willing, and God is present to help you in your time of trouble. And I want to hold out something for you, that if we actively fear the right thing, we can be delivered from fearing everything else. If we actively fear the right thing, we can be delivered from our fear of everything else. And Psalm 103 is going to help us to do that. All right, let's look at it together. We're going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 103: "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers our Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This is your word that will live forever. It is true. Would you help us now to take truth, eternal truth, and apply it in the very moments in which we live? Lord, do it so that you'd be glorified in our lives and we'd be strengthened in faith. Now We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to cover this psalm, and I've created five action steps. So I've not created them. Out of the text, I've formed this into five action steps. And I've done that so that when you leave here, you leave with a toolbox to take to the areas where you may be struggling with fear or anxiety, and you'll know exactly, here's five things I can now do to help in this area where I am afraid. Let's jump into the first one. Number one, fear the Lord. It's the first step, fear the Lord. It's the position of blessing. Take a look at verse 11 with me. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. You tell me, to whom does he give his steadfast love? You're going to now tell me that. To whom does he give his steadfast love? To those who fear him. Take a look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. To whom does he show his compassion? Are you doing all right? I'm going to ask you one more time. It's the same answer. So just go ahead and let it rip. All right, here we go. Take a look at verse 17. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. To whom does he give his steadfast love? Who is it on? It's those who fear him. And I'm sure it seems like a very strange place to start in trying to help you in an area where you're fearful to say the first step is to be afraid, the first step is to fear. And you're like, Rob, I've got that down. I don't need help to be afraid. I need help to not be afraid. Well, here's the step. You can stop being afraid of the thing you're afraid of if you will in faith step into the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? Look like? Well, John Piper is going to start the stage for us here. He's going to start to develop the picture. He says this We should fear in the sense that we seek refuge from God away from God's terrible wrath. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's wrath outside Christ. There is terror outside of Christ. And there is a different kind of trembling inside of Christ. Fearing the Lord is a recognition on our part that apart from Jesus, there's a whole lot to be afraid of. Not just your circumstances. Those will pale in comparison to the day of wrath. God pours out his wrath on sin. And in Christ, we are covered, completely forgiven of our sin. And only as we fear what God is towards sin, what his wrath looks like, do we fully appreciate what we have in Christ. We stop taking it for granted And we realize, okay, this God that I can call Father who has opened the door to his throne room of grace, this God is bringing a day of reckoning. And the only reason I don't have to fear that isn't because of how great I am, isn't because of what I bring to the table. It is only because I am in the one refuge he's provided from that, his son, Jesus Christ. And so being in Christ out of fear, being in Christ creates a joyful trembling for us that as we failed, as we choose to not take it for granted and as we remember each day what it is we're saved from and what it is that we are saved to, we can be filled with joy. But it ought never be a joy that removes the fact that we are stepping before a holy God. We get to call Him Father, but he is holy nonetheless. That's why the fear of the Lord is the position of blessing. It positions us and it lays out the groundwork for us to be free from our anxieties. One of the pastors I work with in a a class on this, he said this, I thought it was just brilliantly succinct. The Bible is a story of God's plan to restore the fear of the Lord to his creatures, and by so doing, to alleviate the fears of his people in a fearful world. Whatever it is you're facing, and for some of you that may be some very scary stuff, whatever it is you're facing, it's probably bigger than you. But your God is bigger than it. And when you show up to the playground and you look that bully who's much bigger than you square in the face, you get to do so with your big God right behind you. And that sets our fears at ease because we are living in the fear of the Lord. Fearing the Lord keeps God in his proper high place. It keeps us humbly in our low place. And when we are properly positioned, we can be at rest because it doesn't all depend on us. We get to rest on the activity and the goodness and the promises of God when we're positioned rightly fearing God. It helps us overcome our selective blindness syndrome, and we see God for who He really is. So we start with the fear of the Lord. Number two, take note of the Lord's heart. He truly loves you. Now, why is this so important? Because when the world presses in against us, when we are so anxious, we can't see daylight. We see no way out of it. When all we see is danger and hardship and trial, we are prone to believing that God doesn't care. It's one of the first places the enemy goes, is to make you doubt God's love for you. And we say to ourselves, wouldn't a loving God stop this? wouldn't a loving God prevent this? So we are prone to forget the settled, indisputable fact that it was God's love that motivated the sending of Jesus in the first place. One of the very first Bible verses you've ever come across is underscoring the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave his son. He so loved that he gave. And that's a settled fact. It happened in history. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. You don't even have to believe it. It's true. You're believing it doesn't make it true. It applies it to your life, but it doesn't make it true. It is a settled fact. And God revealed, hey, God, why did you do that? God tells us, knowing how important the answer is. He loves us. And any time we doubt the love of God, we always have the assurance of the cross to correct us, to tie us to truth, to keep us in faith. But there are times we still feel broken. And when you're feeling broken and you're feeling weak, isn't it tempting to believe nobody really loves you in that condition? People pull away from you. They don't know what to do with you you're hard to approach they've tried and they've tried and they've gotten nowhere so what happens many people will just step back from you and you're feeling rejected by people but I've got good news for you God has included verses 13 and 14 in his inspired word can you look at those please As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I want to tell you the most important word, in my view, in these two verses is the word for. Look at that again. Okay, father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It's not in spite of your brokenness. It's not like that's the sour taste of pulling close to you, but he'll love you anyway. It is the very frame of your brokenness that elicits his compassion, and it draws him to us. The very thing that may cause friends or acquaintances to pull back is the very thing that causes your loving God to step near. So if you feel like, how could God ever love me this way? He knows your frame. He's not surprised. He's not repelled by you. In fact, he's drawn closer to you out of compassion. J.I. Packer says this so beautifully. Listen to this, this... You think of J.I. Packer, if you know that kind of great author and pastor from the last hundred years, uh, you think of him as a theological giant. But listen to this humble confession. He says, there's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying that as you learn just how broken you may be, as you learn what you're capable of, as you learn how weak your your tested faith may be at any point, God is not learning that right now. He's not learning that along with you. He knew it. And it never threatens whether you belong to him. It doesn't cause him to put you on the naughty list. You're not like demoted to like the children he doesn't really like. No, he knows all of that. You can't taint his love for you because it's not based on what you do. His love is based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that's unchanging. And we are so secure in the love of God. So we must remember what his heart is for us. It will deliver you from your fear. Because in your fears, Satan lies to you. And all you've got to do is tell him the truth. Satan will say, look at you who would love you like this? And you may, right in that moment, you can say without any question, I don't know who else would love me like this, but God does. And then he's like, oh, I'll have to try another way. Third, remember the Lord's work he is more than able our sbs often messes with our memory and it causes us to forget god's resume it's a pretty impressive resume folks like god's faithfulness like throughout all time and if you just catalog if you take the time to catalog what he's done in your life you're going to find shocking Faithfulness, But when we are crushed, when we're pressed in and our circumstances are causing us to doubt, we forget what God has actually done. But take a look at verses 3 through 8, which calls us, well, let's start in verse 2, which calls us to forget not all his benefits. Okay, so these will apply to every born-again Christian in this room. He forgives all your iniquity. Boy, that would be enough. Great list, Isaiah. Thank you. I am grateful and I am secure. But he goes on. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life From the pit, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good, and he renews you like the eagles. And this is just kind of the executive summary of his resume. Our family was recently at a theater, uh, and the theater has, it's a big theater You know, the big orchestra seating down here, and then the balcony. It's one of those with like steep balconies, like three steps to every row. You got to hold on to the railing. And uh, by way of another long story, I'll tell you elsewhere. We had balcony seats this day. Um, And so as we're walking in, my youngest, who is with us, Jennifer, she sees where our seats are. Now, she's not upset Their balcony seats versus orchestra seats. She's not tracking that. But here's what she's tracking. Those steps are scary. And she doesn't like scary steps. And she just melts in the middle of the floor, right, where all the people are walking. And she's, I'm not going anywhere. She's not prone to temper tantrums. What happens with her when she gets really scared is she just, we say she goes boneless, like it's like holding on to water. You know, it's a, you, you try, but if you squeeze her any harder, you're gonna pop her head off, right? So, so she just melts right through you. And what was happening in that moment? It's not like she said, guys, I've thought about your history as parents. You drop kids all the time. How am I gonna make it up those steps with you two? But we've got a great resume of carrying kids upstairs. Nearly perfect. Um, All she had to do was remember, oh, these two are going to protect me. These two aren't going to drop me. What was she suffering from? Selective blindness syndrome. If she thinks about it, of course we're not going to drop her. But in that moment, the fear punched her in the face, blurred her vision, and she didn't remember. And this is how we can behave in the things that frighten us. We forget who God is. We forget he's got a pretty good resume and we are just overcome by the things we see rather than the things that we know. But our fear and our anxiety cannot live in the shadow of God's resume. It just melts away. When you realize who he is and what he's promised and what he's done and what he's told you he's going to do and what he's already done in you, Now, all of a sudden, those stairs are like, all right, I'd prefer not to go up those stairs, but God's got me. And you step into the fear, and it shrinks its power over you. And this is what comes by by forgetting not his benefits. If this was God's first rodeo, we'd all have reason for anxiety. It would actually be the only rational response. But he has demonstrated this to you time and again throughout biblical history and throughout your own history. He's able. He is faithful. He is present. And so remembering the Lord's work is critical. And there's one, as I was working through this point, there was one Bible story kept coming up over and over again. And it it happens in the book of, of Lamentations. Where Jeremiah is lamenting the fall of Jerusalem, it is not necessarily like Lamentations, isn't there just waiting for a Disney musical to be made out of it? It is a brutal book to read. But as he's lamenting the horror that's happening right in front of his eyes, Jeremiah writes this But this I call to mind, which is the Bible's way of saying, I remember, right? This I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. So, wait a second. He remembers something that generates hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's not going to find this looking only at His circumstances. He had to draw it to mind. But he says, even in light of this, in light of what I'm saying, in light of what the doctor just told you, in light of that relationship that is in terrible shape in your life, in light of all of these things, God's love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, which means they are here right now. So when we remember what the Lord does, we can push the devil back Who loves to tell you everything God doesn't do? He likes to lie to you about what's happened in your past. He does not want you looking back and being strengthened by God's well established faithfulness. Our failure to remember paralyzes us, our discipline to remember. Enlivens us and emboldens us to walk through whatever is in front of us. And we have an opportunity by choosing to remember to kick the devil in the teeth. You're not powerless against him because God is indeed faithful. God is good, and he's proven it to us over and over again. Number four, obey the Lord's commands. Lean not on your own understanding. Verse 18 in particular highlights the importance of obeying God. Take a look at verse 18. It says, To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Obedience and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. Let me just give you a few verses out of the book of Jeremiah. This is not Lamentations, but the book of Jeremiah. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Okay, so he gives you this instruction, this one way, so that you'd fear him, right? For their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Do you see the connection of the fear of the Lord being given to us? We cultivate and and, and walk in the fear of the Lord, which then causes us to not leave God and to walk in his ways and obey his commands. And we can sometimes downplay the role of obedience because we don't really see how obeying the Lord in this small thing is going to have any effect on this big thing that we're afraid of. We don't see the direct connection. It, It seems quite silly for us to obey what he has told us when we're facing this giant which drew to mind another bible story this is from 2nd kings 6 some of you may be familiar with it but the syrian army is attacking and elisha and his servant are frightened they're trapped and the army has surrounded them and the servant particularly is riddled in fear. And Elisha just prays to God, and he says, exactly, he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. God opened his eyes, and the servant saw the greater reality of the situation. The command in that moment was to have faith, and the disobedience in that moment was that servant was not exercising faith. Now, there's lots of artwork and things that have been drawn or painted, capturing what this scene might have looked like. I've brought one with me. There it is. Okay, so let's assume Elisha's on the left. He seems happier in that moment. And then the guy on the right is the servant. And you can see off in the distance on the the horizon, it looks like maybe trees. That's the whole Syrian army. And you can imagine if you're in that walled place where they are, that Syrian army is awful frightening. Until you see that huge army up in the sky. This is the reality behind every one of your fears. Left to yourself, there's every reason to be frightened because it's pretty big and looming. But Elisha says, Lord, open her eyes. Open his eyes that they may see. And suddenly, when you see the greater reality of our circumstances, there's nothing really to be afraid of. And all we had to do in that moment was obey and exercise the command to believe. There's other things beyond unbelief that can cause us to be trapped in anxiety and fear. So let me just ask you a few questions. Are there known sins in your life that you're tolerating? You just said, I'll get to that later, or I'm working on other stuff right now. I'm not going to deal with that. Perhaps with a parent or a friend or a child, are you avoiding what God says to do in any area of your life? He has said it plainly, and you're just saying, hey, I'll worry about obeying down the road. Maybe you're called to overlook or forgive someone. Repent of something. You know what God says, but you just don't want to do it. The peace you want in your soul is somewhere on the other side of obedience. It's God's love to not make us delightfully happy in our sin. Because then we step outside of that place of blessing, and that's not good for us. No, it's his love that causes us to be anxious and unsettled in our sins so that we repent and are restored and we remain. So the commands of the Lord are given to us for our good and dealing honestly and quickly with what he commands will deal a death blow to your fear and your anxiety. It's why the Proverbs say to trust him with all your heart, to lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways To acknowledge him. And then lastly, number five, bless the Lord. He is worthy. Now, there's a lot of truth in this psalm, and I told you at the beginning that I framed these as steps you could take. But actually, if you read the psalm as it's written, there's only one action we are called to, there's only one command given to us, and it's this one to bless the Lord. Take a look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's the command. That's what we are now called to do in this psalm. And then the bulk of what's left, of what follows, is why. What reason do you have to bless the Lord? Why is He worthy of blessing? And then at the end, once Isaiah lays out what, why God is worthy of being blessed, He repeats this command over and over and over again for the grand finale. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You can't get to the end of Psalm 103 and say, God, what do you want me to do? You can't miss it. Bless the Lord. And so when we sing songs like we did wonderfully earlier in this service, it's more than a musical experience. I've been to concerts, you've been to concerts. There's, there's music, there's drums, there's flashing lights, sometimes there's fireworks. Everybody's kind of singing the whole thing. That they're, they're flashing their flashlights up here, and it, it's this wonderful experience, right? Lots of fun. It's not a worship experience for the people of God. It may be for some of the other people there, but it's not for the people of God. There are some things that we did this morning that overlap with concerts. The music's here, the microphones are here, people are singing along. But may God always protect us. May He always protect us from what happens up here being a concert, from making those who stand up here being performers and making you guys fans. May He always protect us from that. All these people, whoever they are each week, all they're doing is facilitating everybody joining your voice together for one reason, bless the Lord, okay? And this is something that God has called us to do that no circumstance can rob you from. Nothing, they could take away your freedom, they could take away your well-being, Things that are fearful can break apart relationships. All those things can happen. But they can never stop you from blessing the Lord. And when you can do that, you're able to say to those fears, God has put boundaries on, the, on you. God has said you can go this far and no further. You won't go an inch further than my loving, present, helping God says that you can go. And so even in the midst of your fears... You can say, bless the Lord. Fears are particularly powerful because they leave us feeling powerless. God doesn't leave us feeling powerless. That's selective blindness syndrome. We can always draw to mind what God has done. We can always fear the Lord. We can always bless The Lord. Today, let me encourage you individually before God, and I want to encourage you together as the people of God. As you face a fearful present or a fearful tomorrow, tell the devil no, you're not going to listen to his lies anymore. You're going to preach truth to yourself. And fear the Lord, because when we fear him, we don't need to be afraid of anything else. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you do good. We believe that, Lord, not because we always see it in how we understand our circumstances. We believe it because you said it. We believe it because you've shown it to us over and over again. And we thank you for the certainty of the cross which stands as a constant testimony to who you are, to why you did what you did and to who you will be for us for every day that remains in our lives, Lord. May you be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Rob Flood given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.